Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 6 of Death Space Filling the Void. I'm Patrick Jones, talking to you from a very cold and rainy Charleston, South Carolina. That, that kind of weather kind of shifts the focus towards death. <laughs> a little bit, at least. Well, I'm so excited that this is the first episode in season 2. I have 10 episodes recorded and ready to go. Jumping back into this podcast after launching season one of my other podcast called That Gives Me Anxiety, show about the things that scare us and why they may not be so scary after all. I have some amazing interviews lined up for season two. I interview an astrophysicist on the death of the universe itself, several philosophers, has some people who were extremely open and honest about their stories of grief. A Buddhist monk. But today we're kicking it all off with Joelle S. Anthony, a.k.a. The Grave Woman. Joelle's a funeral director, embalmer, as well as a blogger and teacher. She runs a popular YouTube channel called The Grave Woman, where she answers questions that a lot of people may have about death and the process of embalming, and also offers education for people who are interested in studying that. We had a great conversation. This is the first time I had really spoken with anyone who works in the industry of death. And I was curious to hear how working in death affects life. How being around the end may change how you live your day-to-day life. And Joelle had a lot of insight into that. So let's just jump right into the interview. Enjoy. Joining me now is Joelle, the Grave Woman, who's a funeral funeral director, sorry, and uh, a licensed embalmer. Did I get all that right? Yes, I am technically a licensed funeral director and embalmer, but I like to refer to myself as a sacred death and grief care practitioner. I love that. That sounds so nice. Thank you so much for coming, by the way. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Where does that title that you just mentioned come from? Why do you look at it like that? I am from Beaufort, South Carolina, which is basically the hub of the Geechee and Gullah culture. I'm not sure if you're familiar. No, but I'd love to hear about words. it. So basically, Beaufort, South Carolina is where the slave ships dropped off basically the majority of the slaves here in America. Mm-hmm. And because of our culture back home, where we still practice a lot of what are considered to be ancient African traditions... Mm-hmm. that take place at the time of death, I said, oh my gosh, what we do back home is a little bit different than the way that we practice funeral service here in Georgia or other places that I've heard people talk about and seen funeral service practice other places. And I'm like, wow, what we do is really sacred. Mm-hmm. So my work is sacred in a sense. And I believe that the death and grief space is sacred. So I just made that a part of my brain. I love that. And it, well, it's so nice too to it almost feels as if, I don't know, you're a bit of a, a shepherd, like bringing, helping not only the, the individual, but the, the family cross over and start to focus on their grief and, and, and move forward with their lives. So uh, I'm curious, what are some of the differences? Some of the customs at the time of death and preparing for death when, you know, we have that luxury of preparing, maybe singing at the bedside, certain Mm. songs, um, even like clapping. Clapping is a form of ushering in 
spirit, whether you refer to that spirit as the Holy Spirit, the spirit of ancestors, you know, some of the same done at normal funerals, but everything has a purpose. Everything that we do have is a purpose. The buildings that we live in have shutters that have certain colors, most of the time blue. And when someone passes away, those shutters are closed to keep out evil spirits or, you know, spirits that can attack the family or cause stress or, you know, unwanted spirits that have transitioned from visiting the home during the time of grief and mourning or even viewing the body. Um, my mom talks to me a lot about when she was a little girl actually being picked up and passed over the casket handed from one adult to another so that she would not forget the deceased. I haven't seen that done recently, but mm. just little things like that that aren't done other places or allowing time for family members to really not have to do anything but rest and mourn. There's mm. a strong sense of community where the mourners and those that have experienced loss are just allowed to just mourn in a deeper way than they are outside mm. of our our area our town our our culture back home nice. um it's been impacted a lot by covid of sure. course because of social distancing but a lot of times church members or community members will come in and actually clean the home oh that's wonderful actually making meals for the family to eat month instead of just for that few days or few weeks or right. just having dreams interpreted of the deceased loved one or actually making space for visitation of the deceased spirit so just things that aren't really practiced or talked about that I haven't seen done outside of my culture I try to bring into the work that I do I love that. Well, especially, you know, people are about to go into potentially the worst time of their lives, right? Like grief, yeah. people always refer to that. I mean, it, it's easy to see after loss. So allowing people to kind of trim the fat, so to speak, from, from their lives and, and focus on themselves and, and what's so important. I, I think that's always wonderful. I think uh, I have friends who are Jewish and I always appreciated sitting Shiva because it's just, yeah. let's all sit together and, and eat and, and talk and, and just, I don't know, it feels like a little less formal. I was raised Catholic mm -hmm. and, you know, everyone's dressed to the nines and, and I don't know, it just feels a little bit less formal in a good way. In a good way. Yeah. Right. And even with that, it's not uncommon for the entire community to just show up at your house after someone dies without calling or making an appointment. Um, I, my grandfather passed away. I was just sick of people coming over. But that's just a part of our culture. Mm. You know, we we embrace each other in a way that I haven't seen outside of the coastal Carolina culture. So there are tons of little things, but I don't want to give too, too, too much away. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do love that. I mean, it's so wonderful, right? It, it, if it takes a village to raise a child, it, it can take a village to deal with grief together, knowing that everyone's Definitely. got your back. Definitely. And that's another thing. Children aren't shielded from death. I culture. We're encouraged to go to funerals. We're encouraged to participate in arrangements. We're encouraged to participate in, you know, speaking at the funeral, singing at the funeral, hmm. expressing what that person meant to us. And I've noticed, especially here in Georgia, a lot of times um, when working with non-African American families, children are kind of left away from all of that. And at first it seemed a little strange to me, but it's just not a part of everyone's culture. I think that from a young age, I was taught 
about death. I, I agree with what you're saying that mm -hmm. kids should, a lot of times I feel like kids are introduced to death when it comes to like the loss of like a goldfish or something mm -hmm. like that when, and instead of like grandma or uncle or, or, or whatever it is. But then I feel like it builds this stigma around death and, and there is, there's many stigmas around death and dying, but how do you, how being in a culture where children are introduced to death earlier and talk to like adults, how do you think that impacts them as they get older? I think I can only speak for myself and my sister because, sure. <laughs> yeah. And even my cousins, because we, we grew up going, my, one of my, a lady that was like a grandma, she was technically my aunt by marriage or my great aunt by marriage, mm -hmm. but she and my mom basically ran the missionary society at the church that we went to. Right. So mm -hmm. they were responsible for community outreach, especially like around this time, we'd always be making these baskets and these like toiletry packages and love packages to take to nursing homes. Right. Oh, and, that's so wonderful. Right. It, well, thank you. And we deliver them to like the skin shut in, the elderly or sick in our community and specifically our church who didn't have families or resources or, you know, weren't able to get up and go to the store. So we saw people as they aged, but not in a, a, glor a glorified light, so to speak, mm -hmm. like they weren't driving on a golf cart into the sunset. They were in nursing homes. They were in assisted living homes. They were deteriorating. So I understood very early on that this is temporal, right? It's body. In addition, when I was about six or seven years old, my best friend at the time died. Oh, she was no. hide and seek with her brother. And do you remember the old Range Rovers, how the, the tire was, the spare tire was actually in the back of the car? Yes. Instead of on the outside, like it is now, like that, mm -hmm. that look, um, or was, I don't know if it is now, but she got in there and got caught. Oh no. Suffocated. And I remember there was like this big search for her and everybody oh, was looking goodness. for her. And then she was found. She, her mom actually got in the car and, you know, smelt something and yeah, oh, my gosh, it was I'm her. So sorry. And I don't, the crazy thing is, I remember her name when my mom tells me her name. I just remember one day she was there and the next day I, she was, I was told she had died. Mm -hmm. And it was like a, her family had a private funeral because she had, she had been missing for like maybe two weeks or a week or so. So she mm -hmm. was very deteriorated and decomposed. But it, just having that experience is like, okay death doesn't just happen to old people either. It can happen to younger people. Right. But I appreciate that my parents didn't like tell me she fell asleep or Jesus came to pick her up and he mm -hmm. needed an angel or something simplistic like that. Like it was just like she passed away and this is what death means. So for me, having that experience and having that understanding was like, okay, death can happen to anyone. Mm -hmm. I did have pets and, you know, conversations about death about pets and things like that as well. And I don't think anything's wrong with that. I mean, it's a personal choice. You talk to your kids about death, but I think back home, not everyone has my experience, but conversations about death aren't kept away from children. And I, I think it's healthy. Some people may think it's traumatic. In addition, I also had an uncle that was a funeral director. So he would answer all my questions. He would let me come to the funeral home with him when mm. I was you know, older. I'll say maybe 
9, 10, 11 and up and let me help him dress the deceased and ride in the hearse with really? him. Yes, and sit in the back, you know, of the chapel of the funeral home and watch services take place. So I think for me, morbid curiosity played a bigger role than family influence. But without that family influence, I don't know if I would be as curious, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, especially since that's that's such a unique experience, you know, I was going to ask you how you began working with death, but I feel like I have that answer. You know, yeah. it was sort of maybe even a family business where your uncle was working there. And what started that? What started you? Were you close to your uncle or was it oh, just very. just I was very close to him. He was 19 years older than I was. He passed away in 2015, but he was 19 years older than I am. I don't even think I understood that he was a funeral director until he explained to me that he worked with the deceased. And I still didn't know what that meant Mm -hmm. until he actually bought me in and let me see what he did. And I mean, I would ask him the craziest questions. This would be my favorite time of year because I knew Uncle Mark was going to be home and <laughs> I knew I had to find out what happened to dead bodies. And yeah. I would have a laundry list of questions for him. What do you do with the insides? What happens to the eyeballs? Who closes their eyes? This, that, and the other. So I just think that excitement, because I tried to do other things. I went to hair school. I went to business school and it just all came full circle to funeral service because it includes all those things. So yeah, well, it's really nice to hear uh, you being so excited. I- I'm so curious, what what emotion is that excitement tied to? Is it helping people? Is it? Uh, I'll let you. I, I want to hear your. I don't want to words in your mouth. Fine. I think it's definitely helping people because mm-hmm. from the there's two sides to funeral service traditionally. There's the funeral director side where you're actually working with the families, you're making the arrangements for funerals and burials, you're you're doing the paperwork, filing the death certificates, making the obituaries, putting things in the newspaper. I love that. That's mm-hmm. actually what I'm best at, connecting with people during that time. You're building a memorial to a person's life, yeah. Exactly. I, that's what I tell people jokingly. I plan the best final parties that you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also the, the more scientific side, which is the embalming and the anatomy and then the hair and the makeup and the nails and the placement of the hands and the mouth and creating expression that isn't there Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit of a mad scientist side yeah. of my personality. And then the mystery and intrigue of this is a vessel that has carried an individual spirit through their entire life. I'm also a very deeply spiritual person. Okay. So I think having access to what happens behind that curtain of the illusion we have of what happens of, at death, it just it does something for me. And I don't know exactly what that thing is. Mm -hmm. Um, And now since I've kind of transitioned from more of the in-home funeral preparations and embalming to the education side of things, connecting with individuals who have that same curiosity and fire that I have in myself, but they really don't know what to do with it or where to place it. And Mm -hmm. then have helping them light the path for their careers, it's the best feeling in the world. So I think that's where my excitement is right now. For a while, I did lose that fire for, um, for funeral directing and embalming. I don't know if it was burnout or I don't want to say it was boredom because it wasn't, 
but I just knew I wasn't really doing all I could do. Mm. So that kind of shifted my direction. Sure. So, yeah. Well, it seems like we both are, are curious about death and, and uh, in, in two sen- like two senses of the coin, I think we're both very curious about death and what happens and the vulnerability and, and grief and, and everything. And in my way that that's come out in, in making this podcast and in your way, it was actually handling bodies and, and being there right on the front lines. I don't know if I could handle that because so many reasons, right? Like, I'm so curious, how do you deal with the emotions of, of being around dead bodies and people who are frankly just heartbroken from right. day to day? It can be draining. Mm-hmm. I actually had to create a whole course on um, funeral or death care professional self-care because the thing is, Patrick, it's like in my mind, I'm there. I know I can't fix it. I know I can't make it better, mm-hmm. but I can, I can do something that they can't do in that moment, mm-hmm. which is think clearly and put the pieces together that they don't even know need to be put together, right? When I say they, I mean the family or the loved ones or the deceased. And then with the deceased, I can present them back to their families in a way that's going to provide them some level of peace and comfort prayerfully. Sure. But on the flip side if there aren't boundaries in place that I've had to learn how to put in place, I can get totally lost in it emotionally Mm. without even realizing it. I won't say that it's depressing, but for me, I struggle with reverse projection. This happened to this person. What if something like this were to happen to somebody I love? Mm. Or what if I was in their situation or what if my what hap- what's going to happen if my dad or when my dad dies or what happens if i die before my parents and they have to make my funeral arrangements like that that's where it, that's how it presents for me <laughs> i knew that was going to happen <laughs> it's quite all right love. sorry both of our dogs are <laughs> making their presence known in the podcast love please come here sorry <laughs> no sweat no sweat love hi love <laughs> Love everybody, Anthony. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. But um, there are emotions, but at the same time, like I said, I'm a very deeply spiritual person. And I believe that when we're walking in our purpose, we have grace Mm. for what it is that we're put here to do. And I believe I'm put here to do this. So that comes with a certain level of grace that you may not have to do this job. Totally. Um, Right. It's almost like, uh, it feels like, you know, a, a a dead person is frankly at, I want to use the word, I want to say they're, they're at their most vulnerable, right? And mm-hmm. someone needs to help them have a dignified passing. Right. And that's exactly what you're providing for them. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's what compels you to move forward in a job like that. Right. Like, uh, I don't have the grace to be a death doula. You know, death doulas actually sit with the person and their family Mm-hmm. They have a family through transition. I don't have the grace for that. I would be an emotional wreck yeah. <laughs> doing that. But I do have the grace. The dead, the deceased body is the, I don't want to say the easiest part of what I do, but I think that's where people think that most of the fear or stress or trauma associated with this profession comes from. But it's it's literally the least. 
that scientific, you can figure out how to work with the deceased and honor them in a way that is best for them and their family and for you. It's the emotions and the sitting with the family and seeing them in pain that's hard. But right. I, I always work from the standpoint of let me give the best, let me give them the experience I would want to have in their position. That's so beautiful. Thank you very much for that. That's, that's very nice. You know, you, you mentioned you were going with your uncle uh, and, and seeing bodies. Was there a transition period where that was like scary or nerve wracking? No, none at all. There have been two times when I've been scared. Okay. <laughs> it's not funny, but I'm laughing. The first time, there's like a nervousness, of course. Like I feel a nervousness every time I look at a deceased for the first time because a lot, especially in traumatic cases where the deceased has like gunshot wound or you know mm -hmm. car accident or something maybe cancer ate away at their face because you just don't know what what you're going to see so there's right. always like that feeling in your in my gut right mm -hmm. but the two times that i've been scared were the first day of our embalming lab in mortuary school where we saw an autopsy i'd never seen an autopsy case before and I was terrified. I'd never seen an autopsy case before and I just didn't know what to expect. And when I went into the room and saw a human body wide open, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. But at the same time, the excitement and the adrenaline of, wow, I'm finally going to see this yeah. outweighed the fear. And there was a moment where I almost like putting my hand on the door. It was like, do I really want to do this? How am I going to walk away from this for the rest of my life? Yeah. But I don't like know. Making a choice that, that that's it. Right. You, you can't go exit that can't door. Go back. You enter. Well, right. What is it? Is it uh, you know, obviously an, an part of an autopsy is, is to identify what was going on with the person when they passed. Does that mean what I think it means, which means like things are just open and out and inspected and that can be oh. unsettling. This was well now. To be clear, we didn't see the actual autopsy. It was just that the individual that our embalming instructor was working on mm -hmm. had been autopsied. And for the sake of our anatomy courses and our embalming courses, we were required to sit in the embalming lab and watch he and upperclassmen embalm an autopsy body. Okay. So when we walked into the room, the lights were off in the observe observatory area but in the lab, the lights were on and there were mirrors on the ceiling so that we could look up and see down inside of the, the cavity. So the deceased had the standard Y incision. Mm -hmm. Their organs had been removed. So it was just an empty cavity. And I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And the second time that I was afraid, I have another job outside of mortuary science but it's in the medical profession. I'm not going to say the name for the sake of, you know, confidentiality. Sure. But <laughs> one of my friends came to my desk and said, oh, my God, there's a head on the table upstairs. Oh, God. And I'm like, what? <laughs> She's like, there's a head on the table upstairs. You have to come see this. And so walking upstairs, I was like, oh, my God, I'm just about to see a human head on the table because I've never seen anyone decapitated or disarticulated with just their head mm -hmm. remaining and so i saw that and those are the only two times i've really been afraid 
Oh my gosh. Yeah, that sounds very, <laughs> feel very afraid. Oh my goodness. Well, at least, you know, that is nice to know that you don't live in constant fear while you're doing oh. it. Or, yeah, like it's, uh, you see it more as a, a puzzle or a recipe or, you know, we have to, here's where the starting point is and we have to get this individual to this end point to get ready for their, you know, their last journey, so to speak. Right. And just to be clear, that individual whose head was on the table, they had donated their body to science. So it wasn't like someone had been careless and just left the head out, just to be clear. Right, 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 right. But you asked about the transition with my uncle. My mom was definitely afraid, but she was supportive. And I guess she was tired of me asking her questions and begging her to go. It was kind of like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or can I have it? Can I have it? And she's like, you know what? Just go. Go with your uncle. Because I had asked several times before and I had been told no. Mm-hmm. before I actually went. So um, my uncle talked to me. He sat me down. And the thing that he explained to me was that this isn't fun. This is what I do. And these are people just like you and I, when you walk into this space, you're to be respectful. You're to honor their privacy. You're to be qu- not quiet, but you're not to yell. You're not to run around. This isn't a game. Mm-hmm. This is basically sacred. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, what that's that so true. Like. It's similar to almost here in New York. I've been a few times to the, um, you know, the imprint for 9-11, you know, where, where the buildings were. And for the most part, everyone respects that as, as hollowed ground and not this yes. is the place to act up. So it, it makes perfect sense what you're describing. Similar to what your uncle was saying, I remember being a little kid and being afraid of, of ghosts and my mom coming in and uh, to put me at ease, she was like, ghosts are just people, you know? My, you know, at the time my grandfather was dead and, and she was like, listen, my dad would never hurt anyone. So, you know, there's no reason to be afraid of ghosts and, and not, you know, that's completely different than working on a body, but the sentiment remains that, you know, a dead body is one of us. It, it's just right. a person who's, who's passed and ultimately we'll all make that trip. So it's wonderful to hear that at least in your store, they'll be met with grace and dignity that they deserve. Have you experienced a ghost? I th- as a kid, I feel like I, I did, <laughs> but who knows? Why? Is that something you, you, you've experienced? Um, when I, I used to work in a cemetery. Okay. And I think that I had a couple of experiences there. But I prayed a long time ago and I made a deal with God that if I was going to do this, he was not going to let me see any ghost because <laughs> I couldn't handle it. And if yeah. this was the work I had, he had to do that. Now, I can feel spirits, good and bad, you mm. know, when you're in an environment or, you know, you get that sixth sense about something, but seeing them, no, sir, that's <laughs> that is scary. <laughs> yeah, that is scary. Yeah. Well, when it comes to spirits like that, do you, so when you're working on a body by your, are you by yourself? There have been times when, or yeah, plenty of times when I've been by myself. And you feel energies coming off the individual or just, you know, in the space that you're in? It's very hard to explain. I don't want to say that the energy is coming off of the individual because I, I've never been able to determine whether it's their energy or the energy that I think when someone dies, there's the, the, the spade, the veil is thin. And I think there are people on the other side and entities on the other side, just like we're over here. So I don't want to say it's coming from the deceased. I just think the veil is even thinner around them. Mm. 
So, Almost like it's a door opening and, and yeah. it could be something waiting. Ooh. I always, what I do, I introduce myself just mm. like I would to you. Hey, I'm Joelle. I <laughs> get you together for your family. I'm going to do the best that I can to be respectful and I come in peace. Yeah. So, How can yeah. you argue with those terms? Don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not here to bother you. Yeah. You cannot come home with me. I learned early on to tell them, you know, you cannot come home with me because I've heard stories of things going home with people. And I actually had that experience. Really? This was before I started working on bodies or anything. I was working in the cemetery and my friend and I actually, we had three Jewish sections in our cemetery. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so beautiful that people left rocks mm-hmm. in that part of the cemetery. And there was this beautiful monument in the cemetery of, for this like 15 year old boy who died mm-hmm. in a car accident. And my friend and I used to walk through the cemetery after I get off work and we left rocks on his grave, but we didn't wash our hands in that sink that they have in the Jewish cemetery. Oh yeah. And I felt a presence around me for like a week after. And then it hit me oh my God, you left something there and you didn't cleanse yourself before you left. And this isn't your culture. So or you don't know him. So you probably shouldn't have done anything. Mm-hmm. So I went and I washed my hands and removed the rock that I, or I removed the rock that I put on and washed my hands and it went away. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've heard multiple people describe in, in situations or, or areas where, where death just naturally is right. Like cemeteries or hospitals like that, that, they ha- have said and, and they stand by the notion that you have to say, you, you can't come home with me. Very interesting how that works. You, you, didn't, you never invited them, but you, they will listen if, if you say that. Yeah. Well, at least it's nice to know there are some rules that yeah. we can all agree <laughs> upon. <laughs> okay, so here, here's the, the big question. What has working in death taught you about life? To appreciate everything. Mm. I mean, everything like the fact that I can sit here in my body and this thing that I'm in has carried me through 34 years of life is just astonishing to me. Mm -hmm. So to be grateful for it and I'm healthy, I have a mind and a consciousness Mm -hmm. that makes decisions. I have a moral compass or a spirit or whatever you want to call it, a soul that knows when something is right or wrong or gets a feeling for someone or warns me or gives me insight to things that I have no awareness of Mm -hmm. it's just it's given me an a a sense of gratitude that is it's like nothing else I've felt prior to getting into death care I don't want to say I was a completely different person but it's definitely matured me Mm. um and to appreciate those that I love and the Mm. fact that they're here and they're well and that you truly never know yeah any minute could be your last minute so for me again i believe in purpose once we fulfill our purpose we don't know when that moment is and anything that we do beyond that is borrowed time yeah so when people die oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off oh no i was just gonna say when people die i've learned to look at life like okay they fulfilled their purpose so it gives me a sense of peace about life ending it's such a beautiful way of of living and, and approaching life right if you're smelling the roses all the time, telling people you love them. I mean, what else is there, right? 
it sucks sometimes. I'm gonna be honest. Like I don't want to make it sound all like sunshine. Sure. It's like if somebody pisses me off and I want to be mad and I, and I get mad, it's like I'm always like, you know what? Is this guy like? Let's say worst case scenario, something happens to me or them. Is this really gonna matter? And yeah. so I always <laughs> feel like I have to be the bigger person and say, or not even the bigger person. I have to be the person that says, you know what? I'm sorry. Let's talk about this. And that yeah. sucks because I also have an ego. Just sure. like, can I curse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like fuck you you know <laughs> but try to stay in the love and light yeah totally yeah. of course of course not everything is all sugar and, and rainbows so not at all yeah <laughs> but at least trying to I savor it urges me to live that way. exactly just wanted to step in real quick and let you know that today's episode is brought to you by garnished entertainment are you missing your friends yeah the pandemic has been very long. Tired of unwinding in front of the TV? Losing your marbles ever so slightly? Not even slightly. <laughs> Shake up your night with a garnished virtual cocktail event. Garnished Entertainment is a New York City-based mixology event company with the mission of bringing communities together through creative and entertaining virtual cocktail classes. I've taken a class with these guys. It's a lot of fun and it's good to be able to make a a nice cocktail, one that like looks good, maybe has a little bit of a fancy ingredient so you can brag or, or look like you, you were very productive during your quarantine and keep it classy. Whether you're catching up with old friends, team building with colleagues, or looking for the perfect date night, Garnished would love to be your host. Let's Garnish. So fun. Today's episode is also brought to you by My Software Tutor. The pandemic has changed a lot of things and you may be doing a bit of a career pivot and, and need to learn some stuff. And I think that this is a, a great way to do that. Do you fear the spreadsheet? Yeah, it's daunting. I mean, any, learning any software is daunting. Phobia be gone. My Software Tutor offers three levels of real-time Zoom-based courses with a live instructor. They all deliver practical, functional business skills in a friendly, supportive environment. Yeah, I mean, learning Excel and stuff like that, it, or even doing your budget or organizing your personal calendar or whatever you want to use it for, learning Excel is just a great thing to just pop on the resume and have it not be a lie. <laughs> to actually know the program. These courses will increase your marketability, whether you're an employee, job seeker, consultant, or contractor. Register at mysoftwaretutor.com and use the promo code POD20 to save 20% off all registrations. Yeah, all right. Let's jump right back into the interview. What would you say to people about the death care industry or, or process? Is there a common question that you get or something that us on the other side don't know? I've been getting a lot of questions recently, especially since COVID started, about people feeling drawn to get into death care, right? In mm -hmm. some way, whether to support others or work with the deceased. And I want people to know that being a funeral director and embalmer is not the only path in death care. There are countless paths, whether you're working with people when someone who 
has passed away to work through their grief or you're sitting with families at the moment of death or you're creating a product or a service that caters to those that are grieving. If you're feeling a call to support those who are experiencing loss because you yourself have experienced a loss, which a lot of us are because of COVID more so than ever, or you just feel, feel compelled to get into this industry, don't limit your scope to just being a funeral director and embalmer because it's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people realize that funeral homes and especially funerals, think about it, we're celebrating the life of an individual, right? Mm -hmm. So everything that you've done from being born to dying, you there are countless businesses and ideas and levels of support in between. Mm -hmm. I worked with a client a couple months ago who has a coffee company and she thought she needed to be a funeral director in order to incorporate her love for coffee into death care. And I'm like, why don't you just start a service where you offer coffee and sell it to funeral homes or teas and sell it to funeral homes and focus on the aromatherapy or focus on blends that are good for group and and she's like, oh my God, I never thought of it. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to go to more Troy school and become a funeral director because you're passionate about helping people that are grieving. You may not be cut out for this. Yeah. And don't and feel bad about that. It's not for everybody. Right. And even what you were describing uh, with the community coming together, you could just be a good friend through your church or community or friends. Right. Like a person I interviewed, my friend Rajiv, has what he calls is a, a dead dad's club and they put together these gift baskets for people who are going through the grief of their parent right he, he's a graphic designer but does that on the side to help like there's multiple ways of helping so right. i love that encouragement yeah. yeah and i mean even if you're an accountant and you want to give back to people that are grieving offer to do deceased taxes yeah dead people still have to file taxes <laughs> right <laughs> whatever you do and whatever you're good at it can be applied so i think that's the number one thing right now totally you mentioned covid has covid hit your business hard has that created changes to how you usually go about caring to a body or or, or wakes and and or the, really the whole industry i'm curious to hear how it's how it's been different for your, for you um, COVID has definitely hit the funeral industry because people are dying in numbers, you know, that they don't die in every day. Mm -hmm. As funeral directors and especially embalmers, we're trained to deal with things a lot worse than COVID. And with every deceased, we are taught to treat them with universal precautions, meaning we have the deceased here. We don't know what they died of. We're going to act like they have the bubonic plague, typhoid mm -hmm. fever. Cruzfield Jacobs disease because we just don't know. So our our first line of thought is protecting ourselves every case. The thing about COVID is that it's it's extended, it extends beyond the embalming room for us. Now, as funeral directors, we have to take precautions to protect those that are coming to celebrate the life of the deceased, mm -hmm. either by state regulation in Georgia at one point we were only allowed to have 10 people at a funeral then it was 20, then it was 30, then it was 50, then it got lax. And now we're kind of going back down, you know, back down the number scale. We've had to become more creative in our industry. I've seen videos of the drive-through funerals or drive memorials or the drive-in memorial service where they actually have a, a screen and people park their cars. At our funeral home, 
we actually had individuals call in to the funeral home instead of coming by to express oh, condolences. And what we would do um, for any family was write, you know, notes of condolences and tie them onto balloons to kind of weigh them down oh, that's and wonderful. put them in the seat in the chapel so that when the family comes in, even though there may not be a large number of people there, they see those balloons and for each balloon, a condolence is expressed that's or an individual. Person. Yeah, that's a person or right. a family. So, right. We've just had to become more creative. Personally, I feel as if the funeral industry up until COVID was about 10 to 15 years behind in using technological advancements and technology to our benefit. So I'm glad that we're now taking advantage of virtual consultations and arrangement conferences because we should have been doing this years ago. Mm -hmm. It would have been easier for families. It would have been less stressful for us. Yeah. The deceased may have not had to remain at the funeral home for as long because mm -hmm. we would have been able to get paperwork done a lot faster. So that's another thing. There's a lot of funeral homes were still using paper everything. Due to COVID, we've had to lean more on electronic documentation. Mm. A lot of states have been forced to look at their death certificate filing process. Um, here in Georgia, we have gathers, but a lot of states were still doing paper death certificates, which is mind boggling to me. Yeah. And because of how COVID easy that is to get lost, right? Like, and it takes forever. Yeah, it takes forever. <laughs> I feel like you give me like the insight, like, we're just hanging out in the break room being like, can you believe how long this is taking? <laughs> it's just so refreshing to know now, like, again, in Georgia, that wasn't the problem. But I know people that were complaining in other states. I'm not going to call those states out. But <laughs> I know they're so happy now because they've incorporated electronic death certificate systems. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, you asked me what I want people to know about death care and COVID. I don't want everyone to assume that everyone pass, that passes away during this time passes away of COVID. And I think that's a big misconception and I don't know why people think that, but people still have other health issues. People still have things going on in their bodies and they don't have COVID. So don't assume that everyone that passes away passes away from COVID right now. Right. We unfortunately, just because COVID got here doesn't mean we solved Alzheimer's and Heart attacks Heart attack. and cancer and car accidents right. and yeah, of course, you know, which is why it certainly gets scary when you hear about, you know, hospital numbers increasing with COVID cases because they can't handle the normal routine amount of individuals that, that come to them. Yeah. Well, on the lighter side, you have a YouTube channel. I think you, you mentioned that you are transitioning more towards education was that like the first step in, in getting into education or what made you want to create a YouTube presence? Honestly, my YouTube channel was birthed from my blog mm -hmm. and it was for me just a way to express my thoughts and kind of get, deal with those emotions that I was feeling. Yeah. And then people started saying, Hey, you should make a video about this. And I saw that Caitlin Doty had like this YouTube channel. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. I can do this. So I started making YouTube videos and I did it for a long time before anybody even watched, but it just felt good to talk and get it out. And then people started asking questions. So I started making more videos and I feel so bad now because I haven't posted a video in a few months because I've been so focused on my course development, but I'm, I'm excited to get 
back into a regular YouTube posting schedule. Nice. Uh, that seems so rewarding to, you know, especially find other people like yourself who are curious and may not have had the access that, that you had, right, with an uncle who was willing to right. answer all your questions. Right. So that's great. I recommend to everyone check out your, your YouTube channel. It's The Grave Woman. Thank you. You know, I, I don't even know how to start to ask this question, but I guess I'm just very curious about the process of, of caring for a body. Um, okay. I know that that is very different from individual to individual, but maybe a starting place would be, what is embalming fluid doing? Embalming fluid is a disinfectant and preservative. Mm-hmm. So the key ingredient in embalming fluid is formaldehyde. Basically, embalming fluid is replacing what would naturally be in your body, which would be blood. Mm-hmm. And it's disinfecting and preserving your remains. How do you pump that through without a, a heart? Is there like a little... The embalming machine has a setting on it that creates an artif- what would be considered an artificial heartbeat. So as the fluid is in the machine, it's being, it's being mixed. Mm-hmm. And then it's also, there's a rhythm that's basically pumping the fluid through your body. And you can actually hear the machine making that sound. It's like... Yep. Cool. And if you didn't do that, would that is that sort of just delaying the decay process so that there could be a showing or that that's done for all bodies? Well, uh, embalming is not required for all bodies. Um, mm-hmm. In most states, requ- embalming is required if you are going to have a public viewing. Mm-hmm. And public means other than your family, like the person making the arrangements and maybe two or three other people. If you're going to have like a full bone funeral, a lot of states require that you're embalmed. With COVID, but in Georgia, they've been embalming just about everybody at my funeral home. I'll speak for my funeral home mm-hmm. or direct cremation. Um, we have not been showing deceased that have not been embalmed for the safety of the public because we're still not sure whether COVID remains you right, know, right, on right. The body. Good point on the casket on, of course the deceased isn't breathing, but the body is still releasing fluids and gas. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to say air, but gas. If someone is not embalmed, embalming definitely retards the decomposition process. It does not stop the decomposition process. Depending on the strength of the fluid being used, you can have the bodies that are like at the body's exhibit. That is some high level formaldehyde. (laughs) something that we would never use. I've always wanted, I need to do some research on that myself because I've, I watch a lot of forensic files and like true crime shows. Yeah. And when they do like disinternments and the individual is still kind of intact, I'm like, dang, that was some good embalming. Yeah. <laughs> so I need <laughs> Disrespecting to the work so. of the, uh, yeah. I have one last question and then I want to open the floor to anything else you think we should talk about. But my last question is, and, and if this is too personal, you know, certainly push back. You work in death, you see it, you see what the process is like. How would you like to be prepared? Is, is cremation uh, an option or uh, would you prefer to be buried? I, right now, I don't think I want to be embalmed. I would prefer to probably be cremated and I want my family to go on a trip every year for my birthday and spread a little bit of me everywhere they go. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. 
I love the sound of or the idea or of that. Make me a piece of jewelry, like make me into a piece of jewelry or something that they can wear whatever wherever they go or something like that. I just I don't have anything against embalming. I just want something more natural, but I don't think I want like a green burial. Mm-hmm. And a green burial is like where uh, you're putting the ground in like a tree. I've seen like where the pods. Well, I mean, um, you're putting the ground or aquamation is considered green burial as well. That's where you cremate it with water instead of fire. How does um, that happen? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I just know that it's, it's it's water cremation okay I, yeah a good person to look um to talk to about that would be melissa unford the modern mortician okay it would be a great sounds resource. like another episode of yep. uh, <laughs> dead space because that's actually her specialty that ain't green burial but green burial when i say green burial i'm referring to being buried in a natural container whether it be like a, a wicker casket or a shroud or something that's not metal mm-hmm. and placed in a cemetery that does not contain any of those materials like a forest or just a natural burial site. I just right. don't think I want to be in the ground. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, and thank you for sharing everything. Uh, I just want to make sure, is there anything else that you would like to discuss? Anything you think I missed? You did have a list in the question about why I transitioned to online. Yeah. Um, and, and was it a good business move? It actually was kind of not even. There's a woman named Anita Polar Grant. She's known as the National Board Review Coach. And she contacted me for an interview just like this. But she said to me, each of your YouTube videos could be in a continuing education course. Mm. And you should really <laughs> look into creating these courses which was something I had no plan or thought of doing. And I did the first one, which was entitled uh, Cultural Competency, Black Hair and Skin Care mm. for Non-Ethnic Death Care Professionals, where I basically teach non-Black or non-ethnic individuals how to care for Black hair, skin, and cosmetic needs at the time of death because mortuary school is very whitewashed. We don't learn how to specifically deal with anyone's anything other than white people. Mm-hmm. That's just the truth. And so I've seen and heard horror stories of black families going to non-black funeral homes and the staff there not knowing what to do with the hair. I've seen this working at white oh, no. in other funeral homes. Oh, no. There was a lady who had braids similar to mine. This is not my hair, but had similar style similar to mine and I walked in and one of the funeral directors was cutting the braids from her scalp which meant he was cutting all of her hair out right and he didn't know he just knew that the family wanted them out and wanted her natural hair out for the burial Uh but he had no idea how to properly remove her braids which should have been very simple you know but he just he didn't know he wasn't doing an intention but just little things like that can make family's memory picture. Mm-hmm. So once I put that out, I thought of other things that needed to be taught from my perspective as a yeah. black woman or a black person. Um, and then George Floyd was murdered. Mm-hmm. And the course from race about racism was developed, which was extremely successful. 
-hmm. where we talked about prejudice, bias, and racism in funeral service, which is very real. Oh, I haven't, I didn't see that on your channel yet. I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah, I don't think it's, it, it may be on the YouTube channel as an advertising, okay. but it's on the website for sure. Okay. Um, Maybe we should do an episode on, on just that too. Oh, for sure. I'm down. Just yeah. let me know. I think that, that's something that I didn't even consider, but certainly important, especially with your describing uh, educating people in the space itself, uh, how to handle, you know, non-white hair. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, I have a whole course about it. So if, if your listeners are interested, check it out. But yeah, so it wasn't intentional at all. It ended up being a very good move. It has encouraged me to transition more of my time and energy in that direction. Well, that was great. the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, that's such a wonderful answer. I'm, I'm glad that you made sure that we discussed that because I think that's all very important stuff. Well, uh, I just want to thank you again. This has been such a, a delightful conversation and it seems like uh, if you're willing, we'll be talking again soon for because sure. I think there's a lot of, it's important to get that information out there. For sure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. I hope I wasn't rambling <laughs> once no, I started no, talking. No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Well, there you have it. My conversation with Joelle Anthony, a.k.a. The Grave Woman. I hope you got as much out of it as, as I did. It kind of demystifies the process of preparing someone uh, for a showing. Thank you so much for joining me for Season 2, the, the start of Season 2. Please be sure to check the show out on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Death Space Filling the Void. Also, my personal is Patrick underscore E underscore Jones. If you're liking the show, please remember to rate and review it. That's super helpful. And since season one of my other podcast, That Gives Me Anxiety, is out there, feel free to check that out as well. All right. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you next week.